0: How do these deepfake technologies manipulate audio and video content, and are there key indicators of a fake?
1: Well, the, th- the thing is, as, as the technologies evolved, I mean, at the early days of it, yeah, there were indicators. A lot of them were quite clearly fake. But as that's, as the technology's grown and people have identified what the problems are, they fixed them. So it used to be, uh, with video anyway, deepfake video, that you could tell it was deepfake because the... The faces would never blink. As soon as that was publicized, it was fixed. Uh, With the uh, there was other ones with images as well, where uh, image generation ones I don't know about now, but at least a year ago, used to always have problems generating the earlobes. You always Mm. this always used to be like a swirl of just pixels of some sort. Uh, it's, It's from what I've seen lately, anyway. It's relatively fixed. So, and the problem is, if you as in an academic sense, if you uh, find a telltale sign and you publish a paper on it, guess what? It's fixed a month later. You're listening to the AI Optimist with Declan Dunn.
0: Can you spot a fake? in this episode 22 the AI Optimus digital forensics a listening experiment you can play along with and possible impacts on criminal justice are shared from deep fake masters audio research with Jason Rogers you're gonna love this one hey Jason it's uh, really good to get to meet you obviously you work with some of my friends at bite-size Bio and I was really excited to taking a look at evaluating the threshold of authenticity in deep fake audio. And its implications within criminal justice how did you get started um especially on the criminal justice end of looking into deep fakes for your masters still not even sure where it came from but i got this
1: huge interest in deep fakes and the criminal justice bit in fact the bit that actually inspired this specific paper was that um we had a we had a class training and i was talking to a sergeant in the digital forensics department And I asked them, have you ever came across deepfakes or synthetic media, any AI-generated stuff in there? Have you ever came across that when dealing with evidence? And he said, no, no, we haven't, but we're also not looking for it. And it was that last bit that caught me and was like, well, if you're not looking for it, do you actually know what you're looking for? It's not the first one of its kind. Um, There have been other studies in it, but the difference I did with mine is that I changed up
0: how the evidence is presented to you can you discuss i know in your in your research uh, there were some specific cases uh, we don't have to obviously name names but where deep fakes have impacted criminal investigations or there whether something is real or not has impacted a, a court case so the the
1: biggest known example is um uh, this, this is a sealed case anyway because in, it's uh, over child custody but it was a involving Two parents, obviously, who were fighting for custody of their child. One was resident. One was resident in Dubai, and one was resident in the UK. And the, I believe it was the mother, looked up online how to create deepfake audio, and she created deepfake audio of her husband uh, or ex-husband. I don't know what he was at this point of the father, and um, the deepfake audio uh, painted the father in a very Abusive and aggressive term, um, hmm. just an unsafe environment for a child, basically. That was then presented to the court as evidence of uh, the father being unsuitable for custody. Uh, luckily, they did find out that uh, by authenticating it, looking at where it came from and things, that they did work out that it was fake.
0: And they were actually, just for doing research, she, what I was surprised is she was able to, for lack of better words, show anger, aggressiveness. I mean, this is something somebody could just sort of do even in something, maybe not like Descript, but another tool.
1: But what you can do in Descript is um, you can obviously train a voice model and it basically becomes text-to-speech. But what you can also do is train styles in there. So you can train emotions. So if I recorded my voice in there, for example, uh, sorry, better way around, if I recorded your voice into it and created a voice of you as a text-to-speech voice, but like you mentioned, it may sound monotone or may sound like it's not got any emotion in it. Yeah. I can then record my voice and record emotions in there. I, I can put on a, a bit of a crying sound, or I can put on a, a really angry sound or a loud shouty one. And uh, I can then highlight some, uh, some good bit of text in mine, which has got this motion really strong in it. And I can tell Descript to train that as a style, but to apply it to your voice. So you then speak in the way that I've recorded myself.
0: Hey, talk to me about the um, an interesting term you brought up, the liar's dividend and how deep fakes can benefit both by, let's say, in this case, a person actually using it for evidence. But also there were other cases where people could say sort of like we are in American social media, fake news when we don't agree with it. Talk about the liar's dividend. It was sort. Of, what's the origin of that? So, the Lyers Dividend is actually
1: penned by two researchers from a university in America. I, have, I forget their names and watch um, which university they were from. But the, um, the whole crux of it is that um, it puts uncertainty into digital media, video, audio, etc. cetera. It's basically the fact that people know it exists, they'll be more skeptical towards things, but it's not in a good way. Uh, so the, the public for example will be unsure whether they, to trust it or they're like oh I know deep fakes exist so is that a deep fake and then people who it concerns say uh, a politician or something and there's a piece of audio that hurts their reputation for some reason because deep fakes exist and they know uh, that the public knows they exist they can turn around and go ah but it's fake so you know I didn't say that and then that sparks a whole other process of people going, Well, we need to go and make sure this is real now. Uh, and then, if they find out it is fake, then they can't trust any other data, any other media that comes out. If they find out it's real, it still has the effect that they can't trust every other um, bit of media because they know it's a real thing. And like anything else, that can be gamed and played um, by uh, likes of uh, people on trial as well. Because they can then create fake evidence and clandestinely enter it into evidence from um, another party, have it proven as fake and use that as a tool to sow uncertainty in all the other evidence against them. Kind of like if you have three videos and then in, in court and then you find one of them is fake, you, you then immediately question the other two. So it's a risky game, but you can do that as well.
0: What's well, the case that you referenced um, with this woman and her husband, was that actually found to be fake? It was,
1: yes. Yeah. Is- they, they looked at the metadata for the, um, the fake audio and they found in there
0: traces that pointed to it being generated. How do these deepfake technologies manipulate audio and video content? And are there key indicators of a fake?
1: Well, the, th- the thing is, as, as the technologies evolved, I mean, at the early days of it, yeah, there were indicators. A lot of them were quite clearly Fake, but as that's as the technology's grown and people have identified what the problems are, they've fixed them. So it used to be there uh, with video anyway, deepfake video that you could tell it was deepfake because the, the faces would never blink. As soon yeah. as that was publicized, it was fixed. Uh, with the, uh, there was other ones with images as well, where uh, image generation ones I don't know about now, but at least a year ago. They used to always have problems generating the earlobes. You know, always, have, mm. this always used to be like a swirl of just pixels of some sort. Yeah. Um, it's, it's from what I've seen lately, anyway. It's relatively fixed. So, and the problem is, if you, as in an academic sense, if you uh, find a telltale sign and you publish a paper on it, guess what? It's fixed a month later.
0: Having to think about data being manipulated. And the fact that the tools that we have, even though all these platforms are saying no AI, or at least reveal that you're doing AI, but they really can't detect it reliably in anything yet that exists. So how is the forensic community adapting to the rapid evolution of deepfake technology? Because there's so many um,
1: AI-powered tools coming out that are designed to detect um, AI manipulation or AI generation, but um, to a degree in court, if you try to say, uh, when when a lawyer asks you, how can you, as the expert witness, how can you tell that that was fake? And if you go, I used an AI tool and it told me it was fake. The next thing they're going to ask you is, how do you know that tool was accurate? And the thing is, all these tools, they're proprietary property made by the developers. They're not going to tell right. you what the secret is. They're not going to tell you how it works. So the research that I'm working on now is I'm trying to develop a, a manual framework for authenticating these. And it's it goes beyond listening to it. It goes it, you need to go beyond metadata. You need to look yeah. for loads of other things. Um, I'm I'm leaning towards audio because it's my specialty. Although I'm sure yeah. there are some ways. There will be some ways to adapt it to images and video at some point i'm sure
0: that's actually an incredibly uh, boy i feel like this is going to be a how-to for the other side um, (laughs) because we can't track you and here are some things to do and well that's not our intention it's really interesting to think especially on the forensic end when i was looking at your research this really brought something home to me in fact um, give me just a second here So let's do a little test. I'll put myself on the spot since I haven't seen it. And for those listening, you can take a listen to this and to look at some of Jason's research as well, because it's really like, I thank you so much for sharing this. I'm going to actually do a couple of tests and give us a little context for what we're looking at here. I'm just going to test one and two. How are you setting this up and how is this part of your research and who was evaluating the research before I jump in?
1: So this research is 10 questions and in each question, you have three audio files. And the point of it is to listen to all three audio files in each question and then mark which ones you think are fake. So each question, it could be that all three of them are real, it could be that one is real and two are fake, two are real or one is fake, or all three could be fake. You don't know. Uh, and each question uh, has a different theme around it. So one, the first two questions are just clear speech. And then every question afterwards changes. There's one that's got a telephone filter. There's one that's um, got street noise with cars going past and everything. There's another one that's um, supposed to emulate somebody speaking through a megaphone, excuse me. Another one where people are really heavily compressed with their audio. So it sounds really loud and really distorted. Uh, And there's other ones that combine those effects as well. So I would suggest testing one and maybe three because one and two are both clear speech.
0: Cool, now who was listening though? Cause you also had regular people like myself, but there, there were also people you tested who were forensic community. I mean, how would we word that? Somebody who's actually a pro?
1: That's right, yeah. So I had three, dif- uh, I had three copies of the same test set up. Uh, and one copy, which is the one we're looking at right now, doesn't record any results. The only reason that's there is because all the volunteers that let me record their voice, they wanted to do the test and they wanted to have their friends do the test. But because they're familiar with the voice, they have a bias against it. They'll, they're more likely to know if it's fake. Um, I also, my fr- I got my friends to listen to it as well and I'm one of the voices, so again, bias there. The second copy was for the general public, just anybody that wanted to have a go, unless you fell into test three. Test three was for people that worked either in audio or people that worked in forensics or both. So, and the, each of them recorded the results to a different results pool, but the tests were exactly identical. There was no difference in the tests. They just it was just to segregate the results.
0: Nice, nice. No, and this is what makes it like so interesting. I really want to encourage folks after this. I, I've got links uh, to share this information. So, spoiler alert. We're about to go through this, and I'm going to do one and three. I'll do one, guess it, you tell me what's real, and I'll do three, because that I think will be a great example of the uh, background noise. So let me test uh, 1A.
1: Prosecutors have opened a massive investigation into allegations of fixing games and illegal betting.
0: Now, it's interesting, being American, I'm not as, as like we are so isolated, but... It'd be interesting how my bias isn't in there because most of the things I've seen are on TV. So let's test one B. Yeah, you are. Going Prosecutors to get lot have voices. opened a massive investigation into allegations of fixing games and illegal betting. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I
1: was, I, was, I was saying sorry. You are going to get a lot of Scottish voices there
0: and a couple of English ones. Cool, cool. All right, and I'm going to test one C now.
1: Prosecutors have opened a massive investigation into allegations of fixing games and illegal betting.
0: I would guess A and B are fake and C is real. How did I do? All three of them are fake. Interesting. The, uh, I, I went hard with the first question. All three of them are fake. What was funny is there was just much more of what I would consider a natural tone. And were you finding a lot of people would, uh, uh, there must've been a lot of bias that came into looking at this when they were listening to different things. Just inherently, we all are biased.
1: Yeah, there's a a little bit, especially um, I had a couple of friends who um, I'm at my normal workstation right behind me. I have a sofa bed and they were sat on that couch listening to them. uh, They were sitting discussing between themselves and going, I know she doesn't speak like that. I know this person normally pronounces their word like this. I know that that you usually hear the T sound more through this one. And yeah, they were getting really into it and their bias was coming out really strongly.
0: We're going to figure out which ones are fake and which ones are not. And I was totally wrong on the first one. So let's try number two.
1: You can eat them fresh, cooked, or fermented.
0: You can eat them fresh, cooked, or fermented. Now, it's interesting. When I'm listening to that, that sounds a lot more professional. Clear. You can eat them fresh, cooked, or fermented. And that's my friend Ken. So I'm going to guess Ken is real, test 3C. Ken Vogt a bite-sized bio, and and I'm guessing 3C is correct. I thought 3A was fake, and 3B I'm sort of on. I'll flip a coin and say 3B is fake too. What, What was my results? So 3A is fake, yes.
1: 3B is real, and 3C is also real. And that one sounds clearer because I believe that one's the one with the telephone filter on it
0: interesting and and it's funny because that's actually and that was a really cool example because it showed my own bias that i have towards knowing ken yeah. and feeling like like i noticed when i listen to him you get really it's amazing our auditory capabilities my brain's like oh i know him and i know so, what he sounds like
1: <laughs> Yeah. So what's interesting is i i've worked with ken for years as well uh and i speak to him really regularly and uh, i thought because uh with, without sounding anything against other countries or anything, I thought because Descript was built in, in America, probably yeah. trained on a lot of American voices as its main training pool, and with Ken being from America as well, I thought, oh, this is going to come out brilliant. And I couldn't get his to work. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get Ken's one to work. So I I just had a lot of issues with it. So what was also interesting though, is when Ken tried the test and he heard his own files. He said, "I know mines are fake because I didn't say those things,
0: and yet they were real files for him." I bet mean, testing against yourself is the hardest thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't stand editing myself and listening to my own voice, which is pretty universal. So there's like um, everybody has pretty much a negative bias against them their own yeah. voice. Wow. So what's interesting is then it's probably logically easier to create a fake for someone else's voice that actually doing your own would be probably a little bit harder just from what you're approaching.
1: It is, yeah. Um, Certainly my voice was one of the ones I am obsessed over quite a lot. So when I first started testing the script to see if it was going to work for my dissertation, I used my own voice because I'm here. I, I have control over my availability. So I did it and used it to test it. But what I then did um, cause I thought all my stuff was okay, but after getting everyone else's voices recorded and generating the rest of all this audio there, I, uh, by comparison was like, mine's just rubbish. And I went back and redid all mine. <laughs> and then I sat there going, like, doing, uh, I sat there doing, uh, like, like, not, not doing any major editing to it. You can do that, but I wasn't doing it. I was just taking out like pauses and things and just, you know, smushing together some words. So there was less pauses and things in them. Yeah, But that was the only one I did with.
0: Well, tell you what, since we talked about Martin Lewis earlier, this might be a good time to actually see if we can... I have the recording here. This is on YouTube, and I'm just going to prepare 10 seconds for people. Take a listen, if we can, and take a look at what's here. Elon Musk presented his new project in which he has already invested more than $3 billion. Musk's new project opens up
1: great investment opportunities for British citizens.
0: Wow, I can see why they would be really, really, really upset at what was yeah. going on there. In fact, let me share the uh, screen so we can take a look. But that looks obviously so real, and the way they did the banners and things on top—how can you look at this and tell the difference between them?
1: It's, it's hard for a start. So, you, you first thing you would do is start looking at your kind of facial features. You know, are the cheekbones right? Is the chin line the same? Are the eyes the same kind of distance apart and things like that? What you also find with video or so that i find anyway, is that usually they are dead face on to the camera. They don't turn away at all because as soon as they turn away, it starts to have very noticeable effects around the sides of the face, especially when the ears get involved. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the time you, you don't see them move very much or you see them, again, not looking away from the camera, not even turning their heads. One thing I would note to start with, but I would also be wary of there, is that it's obviously a bit lower quality. Uh, So in the day of age now, where everyone's got quite high quality cameras and things, um, you don't necessarily expect to see, like on the left there, which is the fake one, um, Martin's forehead is awfully smooth as opposed to the one on the right that's got all the extra wrinkles. I mean, on the right as well, he is raising his eyebrows, which creates more wrinkles. But even yeah. when you go down his cheeks, down his, um, under his eyes and his jawline and things, like it's, it's quite smooth, uh, which is uh, an artifact from early deep fake technologies that is, again, getting better. But, uh, again, you need to be wary of the fact that it could just be he's using an older webcam. It could be that. So whenever you do these things, you have to say, "Well, these are the things I've detected, but these are also the thing—the real reasons why it could also be like that." So you're 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 actually not so much a yes, this is fake. yes, this is real. You're actually more of a pros and cons kind of thing,
0: because it could be a lot of reasons why it's that way. Because it's funny, I was looking at a television commercial last night for Google's new um, phone, mobile phone, and so the group of uh, Like, you know, 20-somethings take a picture, and two of them are like this. And then when the picture stops, their eyes are adjusted that the filter is built in so that everyone's eyes make contact with the camera using the same thing. So it's funny because it's almost like we talk about deep fakes, but everybody, (laughs) if you've ever been on Instagram, is there anything real there? Can you discuss the challenges and differentiating between like authentic? Let's go on the audio end. Authentic audio and those generated by deep fake technology? So, first of
1: all, you'd be thinking of the, um, the frequency range, like, is there, have they got the full range of their voice in there?
0: Because mm.
1: there's some models that don't give out the full frequency range. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at a spectrogram as well, which is a 3D picture of audio, um, there's sometimes markers in there that are maybe, the, they're maybe the higher frequencies that you struggle to hear. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, although, humans hear up to 20,000 hertz. That's when you're born. By the time you're, I don't know, 20, 30, probably lucky if you're hearing 17,000, 18,000 hertz. And by the time that you're retired, even more than that, and it's nothing to do with your exposure to sound or anything, it's just um, it's the just your ear aging and the hairs yeah. in your ear just folding down. So sometimes there's markers in there that may have been put there by the software, um, to tell like as a water like a water stamp a watermark, Sorry, yeah, um, <laughs> sorry that's one thing uh, you can also listen for their pacing for their cadences <clears throat> I know my accent normally I have a tendency not to pronounce T's so for button for example instead of saying button I say button and that's the same with quite a lot of sounds so you know, you know the person's from Scotland that's a very typical thing in Scotland so if they're suddenly pronouncing T's in very very properly pronouncing their words that could be a sign could be I'm not saying it is because there are people in here that do that as well but um again it's one thing you could listen to uh, although then you start getting into the realm of speech forensics and if you're doing it in criminal justice you you try and you're an audio person you have to not stray too far into that because it's a different field but things like that pacing cadence also if they're monotone a lot of them have a tendency to generate a uh, monotone audio um, so, like you said, right at the start, um, not a lot of emotion or anything like that. So sometimes the it's if it's kind of bland, uh, it's kind of a giveaway. But again, they're getting better and better, so it's making it harder to detect that.
0: You brought up watermarks. There is, and I believe I know Adobe's involved. Uh, some other big tech companies. called the, um, if I pronounce it right, the Coalition for Content Provenance and Authenticities, a watermark proposal. What is they are. How are they actually putting a quote watermark? Is it in the metadata, or h- how do they get that in there? What I
1: understand with it is that it's essentially giving this file a passport. So you know, as you chat, tra- as you with your real life passport, as you travel to a different country, you get a stamp to say you've been here. You've got a stamp yeah. to say you've been in Germany, a stamp to say you've been in the US, one for the UK. Blah blah blah. blah. The, I understand it is that the idea as uh, in Adobe's example when the camera takes this image and generates the file at its origin, it will get given this all its metadata and this little passport, which is attached to the file, embedded in the file somehow. And then as it's transferred from the camera to the PC of the editor, it will get uh, like a stamp to say it was on this PC. It will then get a stamp to say it was put through Photoshop or whatever editing software, if it's um, meeting the standards for the, the coalition. Uh, And basically, the idea of it is that when it's been through 76 different other people and it's been reposted on Facebook for the 60 millionth time, that you'll still be able to say, yes, it was James Alexander who took this photo on the 2003 uh, on this beach somewhere. Uh, You'll be able to trace it back to that and see what happened as well along there. And it's, it's crazy the, the ways that they're doing it, because there was one paper that I referenced in my dissertation, uh, one of the, uh, again, another university in America, I think it's California, they actually um, reverse engineered, uh, what's, what's the word, um, fluid dynamics. And mm. what they did was adapt it uh, so that they would feed it the, the audio file that they think is deepfake. And it would generate the shape of the the throat that would, uh, you know, speak. Because your throat makes all sorts of weird, funky shapes and sizes and things when you form words. And they found that with all all the deepfake ones that they tested, I think it was all anyway. Or it was quite a large proportion, at least. They found that they would make um, laughably inaccurate uh, shapes, uh, th- things. That, Shapes and sizes that were anatomically impossible for a human, I believe, is the right words that they said. So, that, I mean, that's that's not listening to it. That's not having an AI thing tell you it. That's modelling how air would flow through a shape, and what shape it should have came through. So your audio in the end product is only going to be just a slightly better version of that. Uh, and the reason I'm saying this is because the your generative AI is exactly the same. If you feed it rubbish audio or rubbish video, you're gonna get poor quality at the end. Uh, one of the files I, well, one of the voices I made, I actually recorded them in uh, the bite-sized bio office, which has a lot of natural echo and a lot of natural reverb. And I tried to remove some of it. I removed quite a bit of it before I actually fed it in to make the voice model. But I couldn't get it all out without damaging her voice. And her voice model in AI actually has natural reverb in it. So that Mm -hmm. that is a proof of uh, you get out what you give it. If you feed it something like that, you'll get that product back out of it.
0: It is. it's, It's always been garbage in, garbage out.
1: The AI Optimist.
0: My name's Declan, and I'm done. See you next time.